You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. The book of Proverbs. Let's just get in here and work with this a little bit this morning. Um, this is a difficult passage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of camp in chapter 5 of the Proverbs here. Um, and uh, even though I'm kind of going scripture by scripture here and looking at this, it, it still is very much a topical sermon and a topical approach here a, a bit. Um, we're talking here about um, uh, adultery. That's the, the subject here. Uh, we're really talking about marriage. Uh, adultery is, is the downside or the destructive side of, of a married couple's life. When, when adultery invades a marriage, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, and we're going to look at what the Bible says here in the Proverbs about that. But I don't want this today to come across to you that this is a do not or a don't sermon, all right? We don't like those around here a whole lot. The Bible is filled with things that we are not to do, things that we should not do. But we don't approach them as a list of laws. The law in and of itself can kill. Um, But we approach them uh, through the the life-giving lens, if you will. And so this morning, even as we talk about this, we want to talk about the blessing of marriage, not just the act of adultery and the sin there and and the bitter fruit of that sin, but we want to talk about uh, marriage. We want to talk about fidelity, those kinds of things. If you you, uh, Google uh, adultery or you look at it on the Internet and try to find definitions, one of the first words that's going to pop up is infidelity. That is what adultery is. It is is a, a defilement against a relationship uh, in particular marriage. Synonyms that go along with the word adultery are words like disloyalty, falseness, treachery, betrayal, deceitfulness, faithlessness. These are all intense words and they all have very negative connotations to them. And uh, so this is a difficult, heavy subject to work with and yet there's a lot spattered all over the Proverbs and other parts of the Scripture uh, that talk to us about this and address this issue. Now, you may be sitting there saying, well, I have a very faithful marriage. This really doesn't apply to me. Uh, You may very well have that. Uh, A lot of people who come into my office and their marriage has been wrecked by adultery will tell me that they didn't see it coming. They didn't know it was going to happen and they become, they wake up a victim of this. Uh, you may be sitting there saying, well, I'm one of those people that this is not a struggle for me. I don't struggle in this area, so this isn't something that really applies to me. And uh, I remember sitting with one lady and having her tell me in a very, a very genuine way, but, but obviously it was a bit prideful, spiritually speaking, but telling me how this is not something that I would ever even worry about, Pastor, because I don't see people that way. I see men and women both equally as children of God. I see them innocent and I see them pure. And I could never bring myself to be desirous of something outside of marriage. This particular woman within just a few months of that was in an adulterous relationship. Uh, So even those who boast and are prideful about this thing uh, can find themselves caught up in the deception and the temptation and eventually uh, the devastation of uh, adultery. Um, You may be one of those people who's saying, well, I'm single right now, Pastor, uh, and and this isn't for me. Uh, Well, yes, it is, because sometimes single people are the second party to an adulterous relationship. Uh, And I want you who are single today, especially you young adults in this church, I want to prepare you in every way for marriage. And one of the ways I prepare you for marriage is to offer you some preventative measures so that you are able to deal with things that come your way throughout your married life and you don't fall a prey uh, to the snare of the evil one. So it's very much for all of us to look at this sort of thing, okay? So if we could do that, let's get into chapter 5 and let's begin to look at this a little bit, okay? Uh, Now, as a way of introduction, earlier in the Discourses on Wisdom, um, the writer warns about being delivered from uh, immoral women 
uh, he, he makes reference in Proverbs chapter 2, if you will remember when we were back in there, about the seductress who, who flatters with her words. Proverbs 2.16 says, You will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. And, and he goes a little further in the next verse in chapter 2 and says, She's the one who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So, so we see the writer introducing this thing of, of uh, disloyalty and unfaithfulness and deceitfulness and infidelity and all of this early, early on. And then he seems to come back here in chapter 5 and just really smash it. You know, he just really gets a hold of it here in this particular passage. He goes on in, in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 to say, Her house, this adulteress, her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. In verse 19 he says, None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. What a horrible commentary on life. Uh, to, to have lived your life and to live the blessing of married life or live, live the blessing of, of being married and in relationship with someone and committed and dedicated to it and, and, and solid in it only to later on to enter into this, this destructive place and, and have, have no ability to really regain, no ability to come back to where you were. You'll never be the same again the writer of these wisdom passages is saying, okay? And so, so we have this sort of introduction to this thing uh, early on, and then he's coming back here now, and he's talking again. So there are these warnings that are given uh, to us from the book of Proverbs, and a lot of this wisdom is that. It's a warning. It's, an, it's a declaration. It's a, it's a, uh, remember the, pa- the, the sermon I preached to you about danger, danger, danger. It's that sort of a thing where uh, almost at, there's a point in a relationship Relationship or in a marriage where if things are getting out of kilter or you're wandering away from that commitment or whatever, you, you wish the red lights would just go off, you know, or the horns would blare or whatever. It would be like the tornado coming or the hurricane coming or whatever. It's an it's a awful storm. It's very destructive. It's very dangerous. And so there should be some kind of warning that takes place. And this is what happens throughout these writings. We see this in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter Chapter 7, there's this repetition that is going on. And the implication in Scripture, anytime there is a repetition of the same message, that usually will imply some type of danger or the need for some type of immediate warning to an individual. Hey, you need to look at this. You need to hear this. Not, Not just listen, but you need to hear this. In other words, you need to get this inside of you so that you have understanding about this, all right? It was obviously a serious problem in the days of the writer, but it's also a very serious problem in our day, and maybe more so in our day than in the writer's day. I don't know, but I'll tell you this. The statistics that are out there are telling us that, that this, this sin is a very, very invasive sin into the lives of Christian people, all right? Christians are dealing with and wrestling with the sin of adultery as much as non-Christians are. And the divorce rate as a result of adultery is equally as great in the church as it is outside of the church. So we're looking at this as God's people, and we're looking at this uh, to be a message to us, the church, all right? This isn't a message that we go, oh yeah, that's for those people out there, all right? And we're just going to take it out there, and we're going to put it in their face, and we're going to show it to them. No, this is for us. I am talking to you, the body of Christ today, and I'm saying to you, we need to hear the wisdom of Solomon. We need to hear these words today so that we are able to weather this storm that the enemy is trying to hit the church with and bring uh, ha- wreak havoc and bring destruction. Okay? So, we're in chapter 5 here today and we're looking at these great dangers of adultery and we're going to begin right at the beginning here uh, with this sort of call, if you will, to pay attention. All right? And I know when I want my children to understand something, especially when they were younger, but even now, I mean, now it's like, hey, <laughs> you know, I, I want you to listen to me. When they were young, sometimes I, I would go to them and I would, I would actually put my hands around their cheeks and say, hey, look at me. 
you know, I want I want you to understand me, you know, and I, I, I want to say something to you here that is significance, all right, of significance. So we, we begin in Proverbs chapter five, verse one, where he says here, "My son." Now, let me let me just throw a little nugget in here for you to, to help you as we start this, all right. This whole thing of adultery is sort of played out with imagery, and marriage is played out with imagery throughout the Proverbs. Everything has imagery around it, um, and that's good, all right? Uh, we see this, this adulteress as, as the imagery is of a woman, all right? And, and the wisdom is coming to the sons, or the men. All right. This is no way an inference that men are spiritually superior in some way or less likely to sin than women are. That's not what this is about. This is in no way derogatory to a woman. I, I, I flew out with someone to, to pick up a car this week in, in Boise, Idaho, and we flew, uh, drove the car back. The, the car was purchased in, in Idaho, and we drove the car back to Sioux Falls. And along the way, this person I was with who bought the car, they were enjoying their new car and looking at it and taking pictures of it. And we both were referring to this beautiful car as a she. All right? She's beautiful. It, it, just, it just came out that way because the car was lovely, you know? And neither of us guys felt very comfortable about referring to a beautiful, lovely car as a he. All right? It just didn't fit for us. So we referred to the car as a she. It was just something that was happening. But because I was preaching this sermon uh, today, I was a bit more aware of that, of that usage of, of, of vocabulary. And, and what I want you to understand is that the, the adulteress can be the adulterer. All right? It, can be, it, can, it, it, it crosses gender lines very easily and very quickly. And I don't want anyone to sit there and think that there's, there's some sort of gender thing going on here because there isn't, all right? This warning is for all of us, and you could find your, yourself on, on either side of that fence of being the one who is the aggressor, regardless of your sex. But he is talking here, and he says, he says Son, you need to be attentive to my wisdom. In, incline your ear to my understanding. In other words, listen to me. And there's a reason why you need to listen, so that you may keep discretion, that you may have this measure of discretion in your life. I want to tell you something about discretion. It comes out of understanding. It, it comes out of knowledge and understanding. And the sage is saying, hey, I have something for you and you need to listen to me because it will help you to have discretion. It will help you to set boundaries, if you will. And your lips may guard knowledge. All right. So as, as the sage is speaking, he is confident that the young man is going to receive the message and therefore act on it. All, right? All of this that is given, there is an understanding, there is an implication that what is spoken will be acted upon. That it will be appropriately received and it will be acted upon. All right? You know what? As pastors, we have that same expectation of you from the pulpit. Is that when we speak to you and preach to you the truth of God's Word, that you act upon it. That you not act upon us or our uh, way of preaching or our style or our demeanor. You know, I mean... We both are very different in our presentation uh, uh, from the pulpit. And, and, and we, our presentation is not the issue. The issue is the message that is coming. And I'm going to package it a little bit different than Pastor Dave is going to package it. But the message doesn't change. The delivery may change. The style may change. But the message is the same. And the sage is saying here, this is a message for all of you. This is, this is a message that you need to grab a hold of. And so then he begins to sort of lay that out and he begins to talk about this thing of adultery, all right? And so he starts out after he gets the young man's attention. He says, now, now that I have your attention, here's what I want to say to you. I want to tell you something, that adultery will promise you something, all right? It, it, it will try to give you something, but... but Listen to me and be wise. What the promise is, is false. All right? What it wants to bring to you is false. And he, and he starts out by saying, it sounds and feels good at first. Look at verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. 
and her speech is smoother than oil. You can almost feel that, can't you? It's like, ooh, there's something about that. There's something that is intoxicating, alluring. Uh, It has this suggestive, almost seductive kind of feel to it. Uh, It's desirable, all right? right. So at first, this this whole thing that begins, folks, not as adultery. Let, Let me tell you something. I've never met a Christian yet who said, yep, I just walked up to that woman and I said, hey, I like you, let's have sex. And she said yes, and we went and did it. I haven't found that yet. Not among Christians. But it begins soft. It begins a bit covert. It's a glance. It's a smile. It's a how are you. A message of concern. It's a disclosure. It's comfort. And all of this is smooth. And you know what? It feels good. It tastes good to the soul. And it's the beginning of destruction. It very seldom happens with some kind of immediacy. It sounds good. It feels good. It involves oftentimes flattery. I've, I've experienced some of this stuff. All right? I'm not saying... Now, there's, there's a difference. Some of you are looking at me like you're scared to death. <laughs> it's okay, all right? This is all right. We can talk about this stuff, Okay? I want you to have good, healthy relationships. I want you to enjoy each other. There's a difference between flattery with a motive and encouragement because you're Christian brothers and sisters. All right? We're just trying to help you to understand where the line is, so to speak. Because that line is blurry and it moves and it's gray. And we would rather you err on the side of caution than to find yourself in a destructive sort of place. All right? So it can very much um, be a situation where words play a key role in this. I'm going I'm to preach a sermon out of Proverbs just about speech and communication and all of that later on. But, but, but for right now, Proverbs uh, chapter 2, verse 16 says, You will be delivered from this forbidden woman for the adulteress with her smooth words. All right, her flattering words, her, her words that, that will speak to you. All right, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 24 says, You're to be preserved. We want to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, the words that come out so, so nice and, and, and such. All right, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. And her smooth talk, she compels him. All right? Do do you see the progression that's going on here? It starts with a little bit of flattery. It starts with a smooth word or a a nice word, if you will. A word that, that feels good to receive. And then it progresses to the place where it goes beyond just being smooth, but it becomes seductive speech. And it goes on. That seductiveness about the speech has the ability to persuade and this smoothness calls out. It cries out. And so it's compelling. Come on. Come come on. I've talked to a number of people who have have been in this sort of situation. And and listen, there's no one that is is, um, exempt from this. My wife and I had to walk for quite a while with a couple who, who were uh, victims of adultery. And it was a pastor and his wife and their family. And it was a devastating time. And it was a hard time for us, but, but very much knew we were supposed to be a part of, of that process. And even at the very end of the process, it didn't go well. It didn't come out the way we would have wanted it to come out. Uh, but, but we've seen God faithful in the lives of their children uh, and seeing God do amazing things and a lot of restoration uh, for the innocent party in this. But, but it, 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 is, it is not uncommon for pastors to fall into this as, as well as you, you think about politicians and you say, well, it's a natural thing. 
you know, uh, you think about pastors and it doesn't seem quite so natural. Well, it's everybody, all right? But we're not, we're not going to put labels on people and say you're more susceptible because you're in this particular profession. You're acceptable because you're a human being with hormones. And there's, a, there's an ugly devil in the world who wants to take you down. That's the problem. The problem isn't professional. It isn't, it isn't, you can't come in and say, well, I just was so stressed. That's bogus. No, you're human. And you gave in. You, you heard the words. And you listened to the words. And they became seductive to you. And they called out to you. And you began to respond to that compelling call. And you gave in to that. All right? Here's the thing, folks. Forbidden fruit is always tempting. Oh. And, and how many of you, you know this, especially when you were children, but some of you, you've carried this over into your adult life. Can't nobody tell you no, or you can't have that, or don't do that. There's just something in you that just rises up, and it's like, you know, it's like Pastor Dave was talking in one of his sermons once, you know, the red button and the sign that says, do not press, you know, and, and you're out there running your finger around the little red button. Hmm, I wonder what would happen if I did, you know? And you put your thumb right up on it, you know. You're just, you know, you're just looking at it. I just wish I just knew. My curiosity is killing me. I just want, I just, I need, no, I got, I got to know. <clears throat> Danger! You can't back up at that point. You're already in there. You're, you're already pulled into this thing. There's something that's gripping you already. You feel the pull of it. You give in. There's no going back at that point. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Not only did she take it herself, but she gave it to her husband. And he ate as well. And look at the utter destruction of that action. Adultery promises much. But what does it deliver? What, what, what do you get from it? Here's the real promise, okay? Here, here, here's what it really comes down to. The end of adultery is different than what the promise says, all right? Look at verse 4, chapter 5. But in the end, having already entered into it, having fulfilled your, your desires or your flesh or whatever, in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Note the imagery that is being used here, this, this deceptively tender look, if you will, or, or this look of beauty or of power or whatever. Uh, that, that is given here, yet it, the ultimate end of it is destruction and devastation. The, the, the wormwood is a tender little plant. It, it, it grows off out in desolate places. I mean, there's, it, it seems as though there's nothing to it, all right? Uh, but it is a very bitter type of plant. And, and, and you, if you like boiled it and drank the tea from it, it would be awful and it would be a bit destructive to your system. But it just looks tender and it looks okay. And it's not anything to worry about. Well, yeah, it is. And as a matter of fact, a lot of, of writers use the term wormwood to, as an analogy for calamity and utter destruction. And who is Lewis's Wormwood. Listen, the devil is at your back door, crouching, seeking who he can devour. The two-edged sword, on the one hand, there are those who would look at it and say, wow, look at that. Look at the power, look at the beauty of that sword. But if someone doesn't know how to use it and they pick it up, they're, they're going to get hurt. They're going to bleed. All right? Marriage is intended to be beautiful and to be powerful and to be glorious. And I know all of you have had issues in your marriages and ups and downs. That comes with the territory. But adultery is, is, is moving out of what is right and proper and good and blessed by God. 
and opening you up for utter destruction and great pain and great uh, hurt. The real promise of adultery, folks, infidelity, is death. It's interesting because it's death that is followed by condemnation. We think of death as the end. All right, it's done. But no, look at Proverbs chapter, chapter 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Let's, let's take that and run over to Hebrews in the New Testament and look for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. We, this is what we're called as Christians to do. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. There are consequences beyond this, this death that you feel having gone into this and, and, and having been awakened as a result of, of what your sin has done. I've not met a person yet who, who is, has been involved in an adulterous relationship that did not have tremendous regret about going there. I haven't met a person yet. I haven't had one person sit in my office and say, you know what, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. No, it's exactly the opposite. It's the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And, and I can't get it back. I've lost so much. The price I have paid has been unbelievable. But look at verse 6 in Proverbs 5. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. In the moment of this uh, awful and invasive sin, one does not think clearly. One does not see accurately, all right? Adultery delivers, but not what it's promising, not what you're feeling and thinking you're going to get. As a matter of fact, a lot of people who have been uh, interviewed, who have had to, who have gone through adulterous relationships and are in a recovery process or have gone through a, a recovery process, post-recovery, uh, and, and they've, they've been willing to be interviewed and talk honestly about it, most of them say, you know what, the most, the most surprising thing for me was that the sexual part of it was very, very disappointing. It just really wasn't what I thought it would be. It was the allurement. It was the enticement. It was the game that was being played that was, was creating the adrenaline rush and the flow and, and all of that. But when we actually got to the point of consummating the adulterous relationship, it was very disappointing. Folks, it does not bring what it promises. It doesn't give it. It doesn't deliver. All right? And so when you're thinking, oh, this is the person for me. This is what I should have gotten to begin with. This is the person I'm going to spend my life with. You need a good reckoning from God and the Holy Spirit and maybe your pastor and your best friend and a few others to say, no, that's not it. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to give you completion. That's not what it's going to do. It's a lie. It's going to utterly destroy you. What is that price? What is that destruction? Well, for one thing, it could cost you your wealth, according to the writings of the Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. And now, sons, he interjects. Now, let me get even more serious, guys. Listen, listen to me. Stay with me. Listen to me here. He says, do not depart from the words of my mouth, Keep your way far from her, from this adultery. And do not go near the door of her house. All right, so he reiterates the warning. Don't do it. Why? Here's his first reason. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 9, the first part of verse 9. Lest you give your honor to others. I, I don't care how you look at it. I don't care how you, how you explain it. Folks, when you walk out of marriage into sexual sin, you lose. And divorce as a result of adultery, I don't believe divorce is ever good for any reason. But divorce as a result of adultery, and listen, if you're a Christian, you have, you have 
an open door. If your, if your spouse commits adultery, you've got an open door. I'll tell you all, if you come to me, my first response is not going to be go. A lot of pastors it is, and I understand it, and I respect it. My first response would be forgive, number one. And is there room for restoration? Can it be restored? Because here's what I believe. That marriage is better. That marriage is still sacred. And that marriage is better than for you to go out there and mess up again. And I would rather try to help you to restore something if possible. That's, that's, I'm, I'm being honest with you as your pastor. That would, be my, that would be my first approach with you. Can you forgive? Can you guys restore? We, we, we tried to help our family do that. It didn't happen. So we understand. We understand that it can't happen always. Some people are not wired that way. Trust is eradicated. But here's the thing. You, as the one in adultery leaving a marriage, that will go with you to your grave. You can't get away from it. You can't get away from it. It's a horrible price to pay. All right? So, he, and, and, and he reiter, reiterates this a little bit further. Verse, verse 10. Yeah, verse 10 up there. Um, Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your laborers go to the house of a foreigner. What's he trying to say? Folks, every person I have dealt with who is recovering from an adulterous relationship, whether they choose to restore their marriage or not and, and go on, is that they are never the same and their level of confidence and trust in general has been terribly, terribly injured. It's very, very difficult to rise above being a victim because the enemy will want to keep you there. So those of you who have gone through this, please let me encourage you. Let us, let the church get around you. Let the church help you. If you've either gone through divorce, either as a victim or or as any, for any other reason, let us come around you. There, there are a number of people in this church who have gone through divorce, and they're sitting here today victorious Christians. They're walking in, in great faith and the goodness and the blessing of God. And if you're a victim of a treacherous relationship, then let us walk with you and, and help you to find wholeness and healing. Let us, let us come along with you, all right? But if you choose not to do that and you just choose the world, the folks, it's going to go with you. It's going to stay with you out there. And you're going to lose as a result of that. You say, well, how, how, do you, how, do, how does it mess up my finances? Ask any of these in the church who have had to pay alimony and child support and things like that. And the hardship of doing that and the difficulty and the, and the anguish and the heartbreak of watching children who are the victims of these kinds of situations. Ask a single mom in this church who's had to raise her kids on her own how, how hard it has been. These are, these are all things that no one is thinking about in the moment of the smooth word and the lips of honey and all of that. All right, those, those thoughts are not going around in someone's head at that particular time. They could cost you your physical health. In this day and age, there's just way too many sexually transmitted diseases and, and, and all those kinds of things. And Solomon's reason here, uh, uh, ch- uh, chapter 5, verse 9b, he talks about you give your years over, all right? You give your years over to... to um, to the cruel one or the evil one, if you will. You mourn. Chapter 5, verse 11. You mourn. Your, your flesh and your body are consumed. All right? All this stuff comes out of this kind of stuff. All right? Um, and not only can, can STDs and, such, and stuff like that um, affect you physically, but it will affect you emotionally. It, it will... It will cost you emotionally. It will cost you uh, in terms of finances as well. 
here's the other thing. It can cost you mental and emotional health as well. You're going to be your worst enemy if you fall into this thing. All right. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. All right. You say, how I hated discipline. My heart despised reproof. What, what is going on there? This is, this, this is a place of regret, all right? This, this is a place where you're saying, you know what, I, I, I was wrong. I, I messed up. And it's very hard for you to come back and forgive yourself. When I talk to people who have, who have fallen into sexual sins, oftentimes, not just adultery, but, but a, a variety of sexual sins, oftentimes there's just such self-loathing and self-hatred that comes up. The enemy just stirs up a pit of stuff that a person has to deal with. All right? So I want you to understand, all right, that, that there, there, and we're talking, I'm going to bring it back here now to marriage, but we're talking about this, this whole thing of being in a, in a place of set boundaries and set order so that you're safe. It's a place that God has given you so that you can be safe. And I've, I've heard the arguments, young adults. I've heard them all. And none of them work. None of them are good. It's marriage. That's your answer. So if you're burning with lust, and you're going to come to me and say, I'm sorry, Pastor, but I'm, I'm, I'm in this relationship with this person, and it's sexual, and I can't help myself, but there's really, I, I don't want to marry this person, uh, or this person's already married, uh, but I, I, I can't control my desires, and I haven't found the right person for me yet, and so this is where I find myself. Bogus! That is not where you find yourself. That's where you went to. That's what you were looking for. That's what you were hunting. And if you're going to call yourself a Christian, and you're going to live like that, number one, you're a liar. Number two, you're a spiritual jerk. That's all there is to it. This is not a place Christians find themselves. This is a place Christians go because they don't have the Word of God in them and they're not living in the truth of God's Word the way that they should. And this is a very destructive and awful place. And folks, it's going, it's going to cost you. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel... Cover his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. That word faithless isn't just about in a relationship with a woman or a man. It isn't about your spouse. It's about your relationship to God. You can't be in adulterous relationships and be faithful to God. This whole thing of adultery, we're talking about it very definitively here from Proverbs. But I, I want to speak to you just a moment about the reality that, that adultery and the synonyms that go with it can, can ooze out beyond marriage fidelity. It can, it can ooze out into other areas. It can, you, you can be ad adulterous. You can, you can be unfaithful in other ways and other aspects of your life not just this and all of that will be because if you if you bring it back it will be because of your lack of commitment to God this is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom I don't want you to stay chaste because you fear STDs I want you to be chaste because you fear the Lord all right I don't want you to, to, uh, to stay out of adulterous relationships because you know your wife will shoot you, or worse. I want you to stay out of them because you fear the Lord, not you fear your wife, guys, and, and vice versa. Okay, so you understand that? Just, it, it comes back down to a, an issue of the heart. You say, well, why are you talking to us about this? And why are you getting so pointed? And why are you getting so terse with all of us? Because I am warning you today. 
that you are not beyond becoming a target of the enemy. And if you will be honest with me, as I will be with you, folks, we are all subject to sexual sin and temptation. And not just because it's physical and sexual, because it has emotional components to it. It has mental components to it. There are things that different people are attracted to that end up in adulterous relationships, but not because they ever intended to be sexual. But it's meeting some particular need that they have. And so a trap can be made because there is an unmet need in a person's life. And that is dangerous for us to do that. It can cost you your reputation. All right? Proverbs chapter 5, look down, follow down to verse 14. All right? It can cost you your reputation. Do you have that one, Wade? I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. This is, this is the crazy thing. When you get caught up in sins like sexual sins, the, the one thing you want to do is flee. And that's what the enemy will want you to do. Just go. They'll never understand. They'll never forgive. They'll never care about you. I pray to God that is not the mark of life, church. I pray that we will forgive. And we will receive. And we will restore in life, church. That, that will be a hallmark of life, church. But, but oftentimes the individual who has fallen into to sin, in particular sexual sins, will, will run because they cannot face the congregation. They, they feel as though they are ruined in the midst of the assembly or in the midst of the congregation. And the reality is that people do not take lightly the sin of adultery, especially Christians, but even non-Christians as well. Because it, it is a, there's a huge trust factor that goes on here, all right? So adultery is destructive. It can destroy your wealth. It can destroy your body. It can destroy, destroy your soul. It can destroy your reputation. I want you to understand something. I, this is for those of you who have been caught up in this, or maybe you are currently caught up in some of this kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. There is hope for you. I, I could not preach this message to you if I could not find a gospel place. If I could not find some component to take you to Jesus Christ, I would not preach this to you. All right, because that's that's where we have to go. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Or do you not know? Do you not understand? All right? Have you not gotten the wisdom of, of the sage, the writer of, of, of the Proverbs? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is this is straight, this is direct, this is very forward. Alright? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral the idolater, the adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, please understand, Life Church is not picking on one person or one type of person. We're not just going to point out one type of sexual sin. And I'm not just going to talk about adultery. Down the road, I'm going to talk about other sexual sins. But the point is, they're all sins. And we treat them all as sins. But we treat everybody equally as well. And that's, this is what we get to. And such were... He's talking to the church now. And such were some of you. You were there. You are in that place. Folks, that's not an issue for us today, alright? But you were washed. That's the message right there. Jesus washes you. Though your sins be as scarlet as they, they're red and stand out, He washes you clean as snow. He not only washes you, this passage says, but then you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. This is the hope that we have all of us. For we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But there is hope. There is great hope. This is the message. All right? The message isn't just don't commit adultery. 
and, and please understand, I didn't insert that so you could go out there and go, well, I'm, I'm cool, I can do it because I know I can get saved and I can get justified and sanctified and, and be in Christ. No, that is not it. You don't, you don't get that out. I'm telling you, the danger is that you're never the same after sin, especially sexual sin. It wreaks havoc. It wreaks destruction. It can destroy you. Don't go out there. Don't do that. That's the warning of the sage. Don't go to that place. Get yourself in a right relationship with God, a right relationship with those around you. If you are burning in lust, find a spouse. Not somebody else's. Find a spouse. Find you someone. A man or a woman that you can love and love on. And get into that relationship and take care of that thing. You say, well, Pastor, you make it sound like it's just a really flippant thing. No, I'm not. It's not a flippant thing. That's my whole point. And, and you need to maybe not be quite so doggone picky and live in this fantasy world of finding the perfect person. And they got to have this list of 42 things that they have to meet. You say, well, you don't know my struggle, Pastor, and what I've had to go through in relationships. And that I don't. I don't. <laughs> And if there are struggles relationally, then come and talk to Pastor David. Let us help you. Let us work with you and see what we can do to help you in that respect. But we don't want you out there fighting this battle alone, especially if you are fighting a battle of lust. All right? And if you are in relationships at your work or wherever, and there are married people there, and there are flirtatious things that are going on and seductive things that are going on, come and talk to us. Expose it so that you can work through it and we can help you to set up some parameters and maybe help you to find some wisdom as to how some strategies as to how you can work through all of that okay which brings us now down to uh, 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 this part and that is that that although there are many effects of adultery and they can continue through one's lifestyle or lifetime um, uh, it's it's much better that we take these warnings to heart uh, and so and so let's let's look quickly at some preventative measures, okay? Here's the, here's the first measure, all right? Love your spouse if you're married. Love your spouse if you're married. If you're not married, love God, all right? Just love God, all right? Look at, look at verses 15 through 19, if you will, okay? 15 through 19. Can we put those up there, Wade? Drink water from your own cistern. I, I don't like that analogy necessarily, but, but it, it, it gets the point across, all right? You have a spouse. That's who you go to for, for nourishment and, and for uh, getting your needs met, all right? Uh, flowing water from your own well, all right? Don't, don't, don't look at your neighbor's spouse or don't look at someone out there on the street. Don't look at someone who gets up in the pulpit. Don't look at someone who's on the praise team. Don't look at someone else and make comparisons of your spouse with some other person uh, because that only gives you a train of thought that goes way out of control and you're called to take captive your thoughts. Next verse. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? No. No. I mean, these are rhetorical questions here. Verse 17, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Don't, you don't bring someone else into the marriage bed and you don't take the marriage bed out to someone else. That just doesn't even, it, it doesn't line up with Scripture, obviously, but it doesn't even make sense either, really. Okay? Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. You, you need to find satisfaction in the person that, that you, you initially chose and that God gave you uh, to be a husband or a wife to you. Um, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 28 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That means you die to yourself and you live in order that, that your spouse is taken care of. Um, uh, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
Fellas, if you love your wife the way you love you, you're going to give her the best, and, and, and you're going to care about her. Um, um, ladies and gentlemen, you can't meet all of each other's needs. That, that just cannot happen. It doesn't happen. It's impossible. But you need to be in this relationship, and it needs to be committed. It needs to be undefiled. And your spouse needs to be at peace about where you're at when you're not at home. And you need to be at peace about where your spouse is. And you also need to be able to go home without any shame or guilt or condemnation on you because of the way you have behaved when you are around other people in given situations. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, you're only as good as you are when no one else is around who can see you and know what you've done. That's it. That's it. All right? So uh, you, need to, you need to start out by making a commitment that you're going to love your spouse. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9 says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. In other words, stay with that wife. Stay with that husband. Wives, you're also commanded to do the same thing in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Folks, don't tell me you can't love somebody. It's an act that can be taught and trained. You can, you can love. You may not necessarily feel that you are in love with that person at times. And that person may do things that you don't love. But don't get it messed up. All right? You can choose to continue to love that person regardless of that. I didn't say easily. It may be challenging. It may be difficult. There may be other extenuating circumstances that make it more difficult. But... You can do it, all right? We're going to need to quit, all right? Here, here's, here's the bottom line. You need to, above everything else, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and soul and being. You, 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 just, you, you need to be in that place, all right? Because here's, here's the conclusion of the matter. If you Go and study the life of Joseph. If you study Joseph and his life, Joseph... When he decided not to lay with Potiphar's wife, not to come into the enticement and the temptation of laying with Potiphar's wife, when he was in that place, he made a statement. And that statement was, how can I do this against my God? When we do this kind of thing, when we enter into sexual sins, whatever kind they are, it is against God. And do not believe that God closes the door and is not present in those circumstances and situations. But Joseph, the Bible says, was blessed because of his obedience. Because he ran from this situation, God blessed him, all right, and showed his steadfast love to Joseph. Why? Because he understood that Joseph, in this act of resisting sin, had demonstrated his steadfast love to God. That's the ultimate relationship that we need to be in, is a love relationship with God. And the other things will come into order as we do that. All right, conclusion. The promise of adultery is deceptive. It promises pleasure, but it really promises death and condemnation. The price of adultery is terrible, all right, which too many learn in a sad way by the experience and then have to, to deal with it afterwards. Uh, it all can be avoided by heeding the Word of God and living in obedience to God. The prevention of adultery is possible with our love in the right place, all right? Loving the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, loving our spouses as God has called us to, we need to heed this wisdom of Solomon regarding this great danger of adultery, and we will not destroy our lives with misdirected affections when we do so. God bless you.